Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at all things going on in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and general animal weirdness. I'm excited to have you all here on this fan-supported uh, news podcast. So what I mean by that is two things. First of all, you can support us financially by going to patreon.com slash Rossafari for as little as $3 a month. But also another great way that you can contribute to the podcast is just by tagging me in or sending me stories for Zoo News. And then I'll say your name at the end of the episode, which is really exciting, I think. So um, yeah, you can do that. And you can do that by either emailing me, rossafaripod at gmail.com, or tagging me in things at rossafari on social media and at rossafaripod on TikTok. All right. So uh, that's the important stuff there. And um, I, I have some some exciting follow-up to my random introduction from last week. It's not, it's not every week that you get a follow-up from an introduction, but this week is that week. Last week, I was super excited because as soon as I finished recording Zoo News, I was heading off to see the new Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And the movie was absolutely fabulous. Uh, really, really well done. One of my favorite Marvel movies, possibly of all time. Uh, but I do want to give anybody who is listening a bit of a warning. I'm not going to go too spoilery here, so don't worry about that. But um, y'all... This movie deals with uh, animals and um, some experimentation, and a lot of it is very CGI-based, um, but you see lots of cute animals and some animals that, before they get experimented on, are clearly real, not CGI animals, and um, it's heavy, y'all. It's a lot to see. Uh, I have seen animal lovers and um, zookeepers and and just people in general kind of saying, this is a great movie, but like, yikes, that stuff was hard to watch. And that is very much how I felt about it. Uh, so much so, as a matter of fact, that um, I have offered to give spoilers to people who are concerned that it might be too much for them. And uh, even though it takes away some of the surprise of the movie, it has also made them uh, feel a less less anxious. I actually, the, the whole time I watched it the first time, I've seen it twice now, um, I was feeling that fight or flight thing that, that people talk about because um, it, it was just a lot. So uh, if you go see the movie, and it is a great movie, but be aware that that is part of it. It makes sense. It's not gratuitous for gratuitousness's sake. Um, I, I, said, I said that really well. Anyway, but yeah, just, just something to be aware of. Also happening in the world of John this week, um, I played my 700th and 701st, and by the time you get the 702nd, uh, performances of Million Dollar Quartet this week, uh, which is a pretty huge milestone. Most people don't 
get to play a show that many times, you know, in their entire careers. So um, pretty proud of that one and looking forward to probably continuing growing that number significantly over the next couple of years. But uh, yeah, I yeah, just wanted to share. And then last but not least in my little nerdy life stuff update, uh, as you are listening to this, it will be Friday, May 12th. And that is the official release date of The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom for Nintendo Switch. This is a video game that is the direct sequel to um, Breath of the Wild, which is a game that came out six years ago and is not only my favorite video game, but honestly, like one of my favorite things ever, period. The reviews are in for Tears of the Kingdom, and people think it is the greatest thing ever, and I just can't wait. I, I can't remember the last time I was so excited about something, and um, this podcast will be dropping at midnight you know, Friday morning, like I do, uh, which is exactly when Tears of the Kingdom comes out. And I plan on staying up real late and um, playing a couple of hours of the game. So so as this podcast goes into the world, I will be going out into the world of Hyrule to explore that whole situation. So uh, yeah, you get Marvel, you get Legend of Zelda, you get drumming stuff. Um, and now if you haven't tuned out yet, let's get to some animal stuff. God, I'm a nerd. Oh, wait, I lied. Actually, I didn't lie about being a nerd. Uh, one other thing, um, there is a new Muppets show out called Muppets Mayhem, and it is all about the Electric Mayhem, which is the uh, house band of the Muppets with Animal on drums. Uh, I love the Electric Mayhem, and um, I've only watched the first episode of it, but it is fabulous. It is on Disney+. Plus. It is hilarious. It is a great Muppet show. Also, if you're into music, there are a ton of inside music jokes and music musician guest stars and all that stuff. Uh, my buddy Taylor and I watched the first episode last night and we laughed out loud literally dozens of times. It was awesome. It's a 10 episode season. They are all available now on Disney plus. So, um, yeah, good Lord. We did Marvel Muppets, Zelda drumming. Okay. Okay. All of you that are here get rewarded with some zoo news. Now let's do this thing. One, two, three, four. Oh, that's a fucking monkey. Treat kangaroo. Oh, I've been too wrong. It's yeah. All right. So to actually uh, celebrate the release of Muppets Mayhem, I'm going to do Zoo News entirely in my animal voice. Zoo News. Zoo News. Ah. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Sorry. Sorry about your ears. I hope the compressor is working okay there. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. I'm recording this early and I'm excited. So lots of rambling today. All right. So our first story is actually uh, kind of just a deeper dive into something we've talked about before, which is that the AZA has announced more information about their updating their SSPs and transitions to safe programs and all of that stuff. So where they are currently at is uh, that they've announced that they are reimagining SSPs because red, yellow, green was not doing enough for sustainability. There is concern about availability of animals for exhibit and the one size fits all approach was not working for many programs. On top of that, there were feelings that the SSPs had limited resources, a lack of accountability, a lack of understanding and urgency, and the uh, TAG, which is the Taxon Advisory Group, and SSP member priorities were not always aligned. Uh, in this new imagining of SSPs, um, it will uh, take the full board approval, 
uh, to create the official model that will be used for each SSP and the processes thereof. There will be increased transparency of process. They will take input from all stakeholders. The uh, tags and member priorities will be considered and um, SSPs will be standardized but will be customizable for each one. And they actually are developing the reimagined SSPs over a period of time. They actually have done some pilot testing with some of the SSPs. And so far, the current system has worked for some, but not for all of the pilot tests. Um, there are arguments being made that there is still more accountability needed, that space and resources are limited, that goals and targets of each SSP need more clarity, and that in some cases, hard decisions will have to be made about how to proceed with different SSPs. SSPs. Some of the new rules of the SSPs include the fact that the leadership and authority of the SSP must be in the AZA. Species must be housed at 15 or more AZA facilities. Breeding must exceed acquisitions. And the majority of individual animals must be held in the AZA. There are some concerns about this, which include risk of population management becoming profit-driven, less collaboration due to less structure, a loss of genetic diversity, a loss of species diversity in the AZA, the inability to get permits and move animals that are not part of SSPs anymore, fewer professional development opportunities, and a reduced connection to conservation, which is one of the reasons that um, the... SSPs are going to be moving away from the kind of dual nature of talking about conservation and also being the uh, genetic diversity ensuring organization that they are and that um, conservation status is not going to be criteria to be an SSP and that that is going to fall under safe along with all of the recovery programs that are done. So, um, you know, I guess I should quickly say, I'm sure most of you know this, but SSPs are the species survival plans and the safe programs are the saving animals from extinction programs. Uh, and they are two different programs that often go hand in hand in AZA facilities. Um, but right now, uh, the AZA admits that they need better messaging about the role that their institutions and programs play in conservation. Um, and they hope that, uh, you know, the safe programs will be able to do that in a clearer, cleaner way than explaining SSPs and conservation and all of that all as one thing. So yeah, that's a, that's a whole lot of detail right there, but there's, there's actually more to it, but, um, that's, that's the basics and, uh, I don't want to go all day on this. They're still looking at it. They're still figuring it out. Um, I'm intrigued to see how this goes. I've, I've spoken to people in the field who feel very good about it. I've spoken to people in the field who fear that it will be a disastrous change. And my guess is as with most things in life, it will be neither of those and it will, it will fall somewhere in the middle. There will be pros, there will be cons. Um, you know, I do think it's interesting. We recently did a, uh, Fasa Fusa Fush episode, uh, with members of the SSP in part to encourage more facilities to look into getting a uh, foosh. And I think a big part of, of why that interest is there is that they don't want to not be an SSP anymore. Um, so, you know, there are 15 facilities or more that have foosh right now, but if that number dwindles, then they might not have an SSP and the, the protections um, for transport and stuff that come along with that. So it's, it's definitely an interesting thing and, and it might breed some, uh, 
well, frankly, some competition uh, to get, you know, different species into newly vacant exhibits at facilities so that uh, the SSPs can stick around. But I don't know. I do like the idea of moving conservation messaging to the SAFE programs and really building that up. SAFE is a better acronym than SSP. As silly as that sounds, it's easy for people to read and remember. Keeping animals safe is uh, something that makes sense. We're not keeping them sp- so, um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to keep an open eye and an open mind, open eye. That just means I'm not going to be asleep, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, and uh, hopefully this works out for the best. I guess we'll see. And if not, the AZA seems very committed to continuing to refine until it is the best it can be. And speaking of the AZA, um, and y'all know I'm, I'm a fan overall of, of the ACA. I think what they do is very important. Um, but I, I got to tell you, the, uh, the controversy involving them and the director of Henry Villas Zoo uh, is still getting a lot of press. So we've talked about this in, in recent episodes um, and not so recent episodes. But basically, there was a um, sexual harassment lawsuit uh, targeted at her as well as other complaints, including um, maybe some racism at the facility and maybe some animal care issues. Uh, some of those have been apparently disproven. Some have not. And the sexual harassment was something that uh, the AZA and the zoo ended up settling uh, and losing a couple of million dollars in the process because of it. Um, and yet the director remains the director of the zoo. And this has started to call into question for some people um, whether or not the AZA is really doing its job and whether or not uh, they can be fully trusted. Uh, I can tell you that I have had multiple keepers uh, reach out and tell me that this decision and the AZA standing by her and all of that have uh, – been choices that have managed to erode the confidence that those keepers have in the AZA as an organization. And there have been multiple articles that have gone out recently in different publications uh, kind of questioning if the AZA is really doing what it's supposed to do based on the situation at Henry Villas Zoo. Um, these articles all have anonymous sources who are not just at Henry Villas, but also at other zoos, um, speaking without naming the zoo or who they are, obviously, uh, but, but saying that they're, they're seeing things that they shouldn't be seeing and reporting it to the AZA and the AZA is doing nothing about it. Now, the flip side of that is that we all know uh, what happened at Reptiland, uh, which we talked about in the last couple of weeks here, which is that um, some disgruntled former employees made some not valid complaints and uh, the AZA put together a team of experts and went and checked it out and made sure that everything was cool. So I don't know. It's it's weird for me to see kind of both sides of that. I really cannot believe that the director of the Henry Villas Zoo is still there surviving scandal after scandal after scandal. Uh, that's just a bad look. Um, and then on top of that, I see what happened at Reptiland and I see that they responded in what I think was a really great way. And so... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess the jury's kind of out on this, but I will say this. Anti-captivity people will use anything they can, truthful or not, we know that, uh, to further their cause. If faith erodes in the AZA, 
that is going to be a real problem for good zoos. The AZA and the the standards of the AZA are the thing that make a lot of people who might be anti-captivity okay with it. So there needs to be public trust and there needs to be transparency at the AZA and from the AZA and not just within the AZA. I mean, I'm a member of the AZA and I have to tell you, I've been trying to get anybody from the AZA on this podcast uh, for almost a year now and and have gotten bupkis. I, I've talked to multiple people. I have talked to Dan Ash, the, the president of, of the AZA directly. I've reached out to various media teams um, and nothing. And I'm not alone with that. I know other people who are trying to do similar things in, in the zoo journalism world uh, and getting nothing from them. So um, I, I would like to encourage uh, the AZA, who I'm sure are not listening, um, to open up and be transparent a little bit. You have people that want to support you and want to further your message, and letting outsiders in is a great way to do that. Especially, you know, to be brutally honest, sympathetic uh, outsiders. I'll, I'll call BS when I see BS, but I also want things to be right, and I want to help further a positive message. Uh, and there are other people that want to do the same thing. So um, this whole controversy around the AZA is is breaking my heart, and it's going to end up affecting zoos and aquariums more than you know anyone high up at the AZA. So I really hope that they start to see that and uh, embrace the idea of transparency, be it with me or other people. But let's work harder to get the word out there of the good work being done, right? So we have a pretty cool follow-up, uh, speaking of Reptiland, uh, to a story from last week. We talked about the fact that there was an alligator that was found wandering around a sewer plant in Pennsylvania. And uh, it turns out that uh, this alligator survived being flushed down a toilet. Stop it, bad pet owners. Uh, and was rescued, but has now moved to Reptiland, where uh, the alligator is recovering, and they are working on making sure that the alligator is able to survive and thrive. The alligator has been named Thanos, which I love so much. And yes, we're back to nerdy Marvel content. But yeah, so Thanos is currently at Reptiland where the staff is doing awesome work to help keep that little goober alive. Hopefully Thanos goes on to have a very, very long life and a very good life and does not kill half of all life in the galaxy. A sad follow-up to another story that we've talked about before on here. Uh, the lioness Zuri at Topeka Zoo has passed away at the age of 19. Zuri is the lioness who developed a pseudomane in 2021 after the passing of the pride's male lion, Avis. Uh, unfortunately, with her passing at this time, that means we won't really get to study what happens with the new male coming in that we had talked about before. Um, but it's not entirely surprising. Uh, 19 is a wonderful age for a lion. Um, median life expectancy is 16.9 years. So, uh, she had a good old age and, um, sadly we won't get to see what happens with her pseudomane and having a new male there. Um, but yay for having, you know, a wonderful life and our condolences to everyone at the Topeka Zoo. And speaking of sad losses at zoos, uh, the Dallas Zoo announced the loss of nearly seven-year-old African elephant Ajabu 
after dealing with a 12-day battle with the elephant endotheliotropic herpes virus, also known as EEHV. This is actually the second time that Ajabu battled the disease after uh, surviving an infection back in March of 2021. This is an absolutely devastating loss for the community, and uh, we send our condolences to everyone at the Dallas Zoo. Uh, Fortunately, the Dallas Zoo is one of the facilities working to learn more about and combat EEHV. And uh, don't forget that there is an episode of the Rasafari podcast dedicated to that if you would like to learn more about this just devastating disease. You can go back in your feed and find that episode, which originally aired on February 7th. Uh, I think it's really important that anybody who loves elephants or, um, you know, wants to know more about what's going on with them in captivity, learn about this, this terrible, devastating disease and the positive steps that these zoo and research communities are undertaking to help combat it. But that does bring us to some exciting births in the zoo community. We've got two that we're going to talk about this week. And the first one, I'm not going to talk about myself, but instead I'm going to welcome a very special guest. All right. So, Becca, it's good to see you again. Yes, it's great to see you and to talk to you again, John. How are you? I'm so good. So good. Um, But people who are listening have no idea who you are or that your voice is going to be plastered all over some upcoming episodes. So why don't you introduce yourself? Absolutely. My name is Becca Robinson. I am the PR and digital marketing coordinator for the Greensboro Science Center. Yeah. And uh, we we spent some time hanging out with some really cool animals. We won't say which ones because that's part of the We did. We did. We did. You Um, did get some pretty good pictures of some of the ones that we're going to be talking about today, though. That is true. I'm very, very (laughs) excited. So what is your exciting news? So on Friday, May 5th, 2023, uh, our female Bentarong Susan gave birth to two Bentlets. So we have two little baby Bentlets right now at the Greensboro Science Center. I am so excited. I am so excited. Um, the 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 bintrogs there are so amazing. Um, and and yes. Yeah, so um, how 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 are they? How are the bentlets? Yeah, the bentlets are great. Um, I don't know if you have any experience. So I know you have a lot of red panda experience, but if you have ever seen little baby bentlets, they are very loud. Um, they have a lot to say. They're very vocal. I guess is the way that I should say it. Um, and so these I think both two are true. have a I've, lot I've to say. I've actually seen yeah. them. So yeah, I've, I've, yes, I think <laughs> both are very true. Yes, they are very vocal. They have a whole lot to say. Um, one of them actually already has its eyes open, um, and the other one does not quite yet. Um, whenever I was down taking some pictures for the press release on uh, Monday, uh, that one didn't have its eyes open quite yet. Um, they are being hand reared right now. Um, it's just because. Um, we felt that the mom was going to be good uh, with them. She was showing really good signs there in the beginning. Um, but, you know, um, she kind of left them alone. So they were getting cold. Um, so we kind of pulled them right now. But I think we are going to try to reintroduce them with mom and dad. So. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So what you're saying is I need to come down and, and grab them now for my own. Or they, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We do not uh, allow wildlife theft of any kind on this podcast. No, but that's amazing. Okay, cool. I hope the yeah. introductions go well. And if not, maybe yeah. you have a couple ambassador bintrongs. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, um, I believe Minawai is actually an ambassador animal. I think Macy talked about that a little bit whenever you were here. Um, so I am hoping that these two little ones can also be some amazing ambassador animals for, you know, an animal that I feel like a lot of people don't know what it is. 
Yeah, so, no, I'm, I'm really excited. Them. When you when you sent me, um, you know, when you emailed me and and, and yeah, been, been lit, I I screamed. <laughs> was it like a? Or oh a... no, 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 no! I'm never subtle. It was like ah. It was, it was <laughs> yeah, yeah. I woke up to that, and I was I I did that just lying in bed, like a good normal. Is human. that not the the best news to wake up to? So good, so good, <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for hopping on and doing this. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, John. Anytime. Yeah. So that's really exciting. And now you also know that you're going to be getting uh, future episodes from the Greensboro Science Center and that um, it's, God, it's just a really amazing place. I'm I'm really excited to be partnering with them. And um, Becca and I have talked about not just the episodes that are already recorded that you're going to hear soon, but uh, we, we got some plans, y'all. I think I think uh, that's going to be a real good relationship for this podcast. And I'm I'm really excited about it. I love bringing facilities that are doing amazing work uh, to to light, you know, and and hoping that uh, more people find out how amazing they are. And then our other exciting birth is from our friends at the North Carolina Zoo, uh, who have announced not one, but two litters of critically endangered red wolf pups being born at the facility. The uh, first litter has three pups, and the second litter has six for a total of nine pups. I am so excited about uh, the fact that there are now nine new red wolf pups in this world. They are so endangered, and this is so important. So congrats to everyone at the North Carolina Zoo. The Hogel Zoo in Utah has announced that they have decided to pause their care of elephants after having elephants at the zoo for 100 years. There are currently two elephants at the zoo, Christy and her daughter, Zuri, and they will be transferred to another AZA-accredited zoo where they will have a chance to breed and thrive. And that'll be it for elephants at Hogel, at least for now. Um, And I think this is going to be the kind of thing that you see, you know, happening a lot, honestly. Uh, We've talked about this before, but um, elephants really need more uh, space and enrichment than a lot of facilities are able to give them. And so I think you're going to see elephants at fewer and fewer facilities, although they will still be in captivity. I mentioned at the AZA annual conference this last year that there was a big commitment to keeping elephants in accredited facilities, but you're going to see places like the Fort Worth Zoo, if you remember uh, the episodes from way back when we did episodes there, uh, where they were opening this brand new, expansive, beautiful elephant habitat, or the Cincinnati Zoo that is currently working on their new elephant habitat that's going to be huge and exciting. Um, I I think that that's what you're going to start to see. It's going to be facilities that can really give elephants a lot more space and a lot more resources than some smaller facilities can. So uh, I think it will be more elephants at bigger zoos and less elephants at small ones moving forward. And I'm really proud of the team at Hogel Zoo for deciding that this is in the best interest of the animals and taking steps to make sure that uh, it happens. Zoo Atlanta has announced that their giant pandas have some new stuff to play with. Uh, They have been given a new structure in one of their indoor spaces with multiple levels for the pandas to eat, sleep, 
and play on. The uh, the pandas adapted very quickly, which is cool because a lot of panda bears are actually kind of neophobic, so that's really exciting. And they are uh, they're all using the structure and using the hammock on it to sleep and all the good things. Uh, they're also going to start construction on a second structure in the other day room uh, that the pandas have. So um, yeah, they're just going to continue to keep working on increasing the uh, enrichment that the giant pandas have because Zoo Atlanta is doing a great job with their giant pandas. I said giant pandas, I meant giant pandas, but you knew that. Anyway, moving along, uh, here's an interesting story with kind of two sides to it. First of all, the Fort Worth Zoo has announced that they have released multiple endangered snakes back into the wild. Over 50 snakes that are really rare were released out into the wilds of Texas about two hours away from the Fort Worth Zoo because this is the kind of thing that zoos do that we talk about all the time on here. And that is amazing. And I really love that. That makes me really happy. Yay, Fort Worth Zoo. However, Boo 100.1 FM and AM 1020 KDKA, two radio stations in the area that also have a large uh, social media following, uh, because they posted the story with the headline, The Fort Worth Zoo Released More Than 50 Snakes This Week. Yeah, glad we don't live in Fort Worth. So first of all, makes it seem like the zoo just up and released 50 of their snakes. And second, makes it seem like they released them right in Fort Worth, uh, neither of which are true. But hey, clickbait headlines, y'all. I'm sure there will be no anti-captivity people who gravitate to that as proof that there is a problem with the zoo when in fact there isn't. The Columbus Zoo has announced a new partnership with the SSA Group, which is a group that will be uh, covering their food service, catering, and retail operations moving forward. Now, uh, SSA is a group that has been working with a lot of zoos. They're really getting a foothold in this community. As a matter of fact, they were one of the sponsors of the AZA conference last year, if I remember correctly. Um, so yeah, they're really trying to become kind of the provider for all of these services at zoos, many of which do it independently. Uh, I admit my my first reaction upon uh, reading this was some concern because um, one of the things I love about the Columbus Zoo is that their gift shops, and I'm, I'm saying that plural, are really impressive and have really cool, really unique and zoo-specific merch that I really love. I spend way too much money at the Columbus Zoo gift shop every time I go there. It's like I budget it in when I make my trip. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I was sad to hear that this, this group is taking them over. However, I, I did actually reach out to the Columbus Zoo for comment, and they said that SSA Group is committed to continuing to have unique and specific to the Columbus Zoo merch. So as long as they keep that up, uh, I will remain hopeful. I guess we will see how it goes. Um, as far as the food services, uh, there were a couple of different food court areas at the zoo that had some like local businesses uh, that were in there, like local chains where you could go and buy stuff. And um, I don't know what's going to happen with all of that. I've, I've heard from different people at the zoo, but kind of different uh, reports. So I'm, I'm going to hold out hope that it will remain good and that there will still be some local flavor and that the merch will still be awesome. And I mean, I guess if not, if it all becomes homogenous, 
organized, then uh, I'll just start spending less money every time I go to the Columbus Zoo, which I guess isn't a bad thing for my wallet. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to go with no. Excited is too strong of a word. I'm cautiously optimistic about the SSA group as they move more and more into this territory. I want independence in these shops. I want people like our good friend Colleen Lenahan at the Akron Zoo to keep being able to design and buy and do things based on what is best for these facilities. Uh, I don't want it to be where when you go to Zoo A and Zoo B, you see the same exact merch just with a different name on it. There are a lot of us who go to a lot of different zoos. You all know because you're listening to this podcast and you're probably in that community. And uh, it would be a bummer to start getting a total uh, just homogenized experience every time you go to a gift shop. Uh, but I'm going to stay cautiously optimistic and hope that SSA Group will realize that and um, continue to create unique experiences at every facility that they do take over retail operations at. Also, they damn well better have soft pretzels at every facility that they take over. I'm just saying. And then last but not least for the Zoo News section, uh, I, I announced this a while ago, but there's a, a bit of an update. So I wanted to let you know that Woodland Park Zoo uh, is going to have a new exhibit focusing on forests that's going to be opening in 2026. It is going to feature the return of tree kangaroos to Woodland Park Zoo, as well as their red pandas are going to be moving to that exhibit, making it one of my favorite places in the entire country. There will also be Kias and probably some other stuff that I didn't really pay attention to because I'm really excited about one exhibit featuring tree kangaroos and red pandas, uh, and I need to get back to Woodland Park Zoo in 2026. Uh, I've told you all this before, but what I'm telling you now is that if you go to at Woodland Park Zoo on their social media channels, you will actually be able to see some renderings of it as well as kind of what the messaging around this new exhibit is, and it's really cool. So I encourage you to go and check it out, and uh, after 2026, when it opens, I might just move to Seattle and try to live in that building, possibly. I don't think they will let me, but I, I would like to do that, please. Anyway, that brings us to... Conservation! Conservation! News time! Oh, yeah! All right, so we mentioned the fact that there were two new litters of red wolves at the North Carolina Zoo back in Zoo News, and now I'm pleased to announce that a wild litter of red wolf pups has been born. Wolflets? Wolflets. Uh, anyway, this is the second year in a row that Mother 2225 and Father 2323 have added to the wolf pack in the uh, milltail pack of the Alligator River National Wildlife Refuge. This is really, really exciting. Uh, wild births are very rare, and red wolves definitely struggle. So every single new animal matters, and uh, wild births are really cool. So yay! All good red wolf news this week. Now we have an update on Toki, or Lolita, the uh, whale who, you know, should not be released but might get released that we did that whole special episode on. 
Anyway, the Dolphin Company and Friends of Toki released a press statement with updates on their plans recently, and it was basically a joke. Uh, the press release says, quote, Returning Lolita to her home waters does not mean releasing her into the open ocean. She is expected to remain under human care in a protected habitat for the rest of her life. Lolita will continue to receive enrichment, high-quality nutrition, medical care, and love, all according to the approved plans by federal authorities authorities. So, all right. First of all, uh, the fact that it says in a protected habitat officially kills off any belief that she will be released into the open ocean, as people like Colt's owner Jim Irsay were saying, right? That's not going to happen, meaning all of the people who believe that she is going to be, quote, reunited with her mother, which we know is scientifically not true, uh, they can give up on that dream, right? That is not happening, not only because it's not her mother, but also because she's not returning to the open ocean. It's also worth mentioning, though, that what the press release did not say was that she will be returning to a sea pen, which is the terminology that they have been using before. They're now saying that she will remain under human care, quote, in a protected habitat. Well, what, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that it's a sea pen? I mean, arguably, that is possible still. It also means that she could be transported to SeaWorld in Orlando. It also means that they could build a new uh, tank for her at um, Miami Seaquarium, where she currently is. It also means she could stay right where she is. So um, I and also my friends at Truth for Toki uh, take this as... Um, Kind of the Dolphin Company and Friends of Toki changing their messaging because they know that Toki's not going to be released into the wild and that a sea pen is is maybe still on the table, but uh, that they are exploring other options. Um, my guess is that her health has continued to uh, deteriorate or at the very least has maintained because we know it wasn't great to begin with. And they're now realizing that this um, publicity campaign of theirs uh, isn't actually going to lead to her release release because duh that's just not possible and if they do it will kill her so uh it looks like there are changes happening and uh it's, it's you know got to read between the lines a little bit but it's it's definitely very interesting to see and uh you know just a friendly reminder that anything that they propose at this point literally doesn't matter at all until it gets federal approval and uh it seems highly unlikely that any competent federal agency is going to allow much if any movement of this whale so um yeah, it's a cute little publicity stunt that is is not going to happen, and they seem to be closer to admitting that now, which, uh, yay, I guess. I guess it shows that these campaigns and, and things like Truth for Toki are, are working, so that's cool. Avian influenza is still raging its ugly head all throughout the world, traveling along with migrating birds. And uh, as such, the Farne Islands, um, which are off the coast of uh, Britain, um, specifically off the coast of Northumberland, for those who know their British uh, geography, which I do not, uh, are going to be closed to public access until at least August to give migrating birds the best chance of a good breeding season after 
after the disease killed at least 6,000 of them last year. The birds that uh, go through this area as they migrate uh, include puffins, eider duck, arctic tern, shag, guillemot, kittiwake, fulmar, razorbills, common terns, and sandwich terns, which also have to be worried about being shoved between two pieces of bread and eaten. Sorry. Anyway, um, yeah, but so it's cool to see that uh, the the government there is taking such drastic steps to actually close down uh, an area that's really popular for hiking and such to try to protect the birds. Uh, There are rangers that live there to protect the animals, and they're going to continue to live there, but they are going to be taking steps to make sure that they don't track avian influenza throughout the bird populations there. And speaking of avian influenza, 21 California condors have died from avian influenza so far, which uh, conservationists are saying has set back the recovery efforts uh, being done for the species by at least a decade. And again, so far, the uh, bird flu doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Sadly, condors are very slow to mature, much like musicians, uh, taking up to eight years before they can produce young and only have, on average, one young every other year. So every single loss in the wild has a huge impact. And uh, unfortunately, not only is this a major problem now, but, you know, we'll continue to be until we can get a handle on bird flu. So uh, really just have to hope that we're able to crack that nut soon or that it goes away on its own, as it has done in the past. And that um, condors are able to recover from this. It's, it's a scary time for sure. One of the major concerns facing ocean conservation is overfishing and bycatch and all of those wonderful things that we talk about related to the fishing industry. Well, there may be a new way to combat that issue as an Israeli food tech company says it has 3D printed the first ever ready-to-cook fish fillet using animal cells cultivated and grown in a laboratory. The future is here, y'all. So the way this works is that the company extracts cells currently from grouper and grow them into muscle and fat, where they then add them to a bio-ink suited for special 3D printers. The outcome is a narrow fillet that mimics the properties of sea-caught fish. Now, you heard me laughing a little bit because this all just seems kind of crazy and gross, but also might be a great solution and and make things easier. I mean, if you could get this to be cost effective, not only can you stop major fishing and overcatch and uh, bycatch issues and everything, but um, you can also, you know, feed people more cheaply and and help with world hunger and stuff. That is definitely not the case right now. Um, cell cultivation alone is still too expensive to match the cost of traditional seafood. Um, and so that's, that's not going to happen anytime soon necessarily. But as tech becomes cheaper and easier to uh, mass produce, this could be something that happens. So you might be eating some lab-made fish soon. Enjoy! We spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about pollinators and how important they are and how bees and birds and some other insects and such are pollinators. Well, it turns out that we may have discovered the world's first known pollinating amphibian. 
An orange tree frog species that lives right outside of Rio de Janeiro has a particular taste for the sugary nectar that it finds in flowers. And as such, it goes and seeks this out. And then the pollen from the plants clings to it as it goes and does cool little froggy things and it gets moved around and, you know, does what pollinators do. So, yeah, that's that's pretty exciting. And it's kind of interesting to think about, like, maybe we don't fully understand what the term pollinator means. We, we understand what it means in terms of how they work. But do we actually understand how many different species pollinate and how they do it? Maybe not. Or maybe we do and we just missed this one. Who knows? While L.A. recently lost a beloved panther, it has a new celebrity animal in town. BB-12 is a young black bear that was collared last month in the Santa Monica Mountains. This is the first time that biologists have captured and radio collared a bear in the Santa Monica Mountains, which is really exciting. Uh, it's a cool opportunity for um, people to study black bears in the park and as they are kind of around, you know, human civilization. So very exciting, very cool, and hopefully BB-12 goes on to have a very long life uh, and, and be a beloved part of the Santa Monica community. A new study shows that giraffes may be able to do math. Well, kind of. Anyway, um, a <laughs> study that tested the abilities of two male and two female giraffes has shown that giraffes are able to use basic statistical reasoning uh, to predict the odds of getting their favorite snack. Uh, statistical inferences is considered a highly developed cognitive function, but has only been previously studied in large-brained animals, such as primates and citizens. It's really cool to know that uh, giraffes are able to do that kind of thing um, and that they, they seem to be at least decent thinkers. Um, but it's also not that surprising if you've ever met one. There's, there's a lot going on behind those big eyes. And last but not least in other news, uh, recently the Kentucky Derby was run. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people who are kind of into that and will watch it even if they're not really into other equestrian stuff. Uh, unfortunately... Seven horses died at Churchill Downs in the lead up to and the race of the Kentucky Derby. Uh, many animals, when they get injured, just immediately need to be euthanized because um, the owners aren't willing to spend the ridiculous costs of keeping horses alive if they aren't able to run and possibly recoup money through racing. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. Well, I, I know how I feel about this. That's it's really bad. But uh, I don't know what i think should be done but but maybe horse racing should should start to be on its way out um seven horses dying in a quest for glory for their jockeys and owners doesn't really sound right to me oh animal oh animal animal holidays animal oh animal animal holidays hey all right so uh that brings us to our animal holidays for the week and it is still may so it is national lake cleanup month National Duckling Month, and No Mo May, and it is also currently Amphibian Week, which runs through the 
13th. Now, this podcast is dropping on the 12th, and there are no days there. But then on the 13th, we have Frog Jumping Day, World Binturong Day. Good time to have those kits, Greensboro. Uh, World Migratory Bird Day. And then on the 16th, we have International Sun Bear Day and National Sea Monkey Day. And again, I can't help but wonder why all of the holidays this week are on two different days when there happen to be uh, one, two, three, four, five different holidays. I feel like we could do better, conservation community. But uh, there you have it. Those are your animal holidays for the week. All right, folks. So there you have it. Uh, Rasafari Zoo News is in the books for another week. I would like to say thank you to my Red Panda level patrons, Laura Shank and Kristen Dickey, and also to everyone who contributed to this week's episode, including special guest Becca Robinson, Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, Liz Dunlevy, Sean Fay, Sabo, Emily Rockbuck, Lisa Clare, Jacob Newman, Dylan Hoy, and Laura shank and uh remember friends the words newsy credits backwards are stider kiswen the rossafari podcast is produced hosted and engineered by john rossi editing and fact checking by john and dr zoe rossi our theme song is sevens by nathan burke performed by nathan and john interrupting john theme and additional voices by taylor isaac gray you can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo. And then it goes and hops around doing other frog things uh, and and carries, you know, the the, the, the stuff. Uh, this is a science podcast. Uh, and then it pollinates by by taking what it gets from the, oh my God. <laughs>